1: Kenzie Urias, host of America Today, and this is Our Future is Missing. Please be on the lookout for Montea Wallace. He is 17 years old. He is biracial, Asian, African-American, and he went missing 7:15 a.m., May 4, 2011, from Los Angeles, California. Montea is 5'6" and 130 pounds, brown eyes, black hair, and his left ear is pierced. To see a picture of Montea, please click on the link Our Future is Missing on the Voice America homepage or go to ourfeaturesmissing.com. If you know of Montea's whereabouts, please contact the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Their hotline is 1-800-THE-LOST, or 1-800-843-5678. Thank you.
0: It's time for Speaking of Sports, your weekly look inside at the stats, scores, opinions, and facts from a kid's point of view. You can't miss one moment of the action going on in the next hour. Now, here's your host.
2: Thank you, and welcome to the program. Speaking of sports on Voice America Kids Network... I'm Jason, and we've got a lot to cover today. Our states and sports segment will take us down to Colorado. Uh, We've got a big-time NBA draft going on, what I thought was actually a very exciting NBA draft, despite the alleged lack of talent in it. Um, Obviously, we've got a new U.S. Open champion and maybe a new top player in golf, and that's Rory McIlroy. But we're going to start things off looking at baseball. We're in the midst of interleague here in baseball, which is always a very interesting time in the baseball season in that while it seems like these games shouldn't really have a massive impact on the division and pennant races because, you know, the teams aren't playing against the teams they're competing with, um, these interleague games are oftentimes actually the reasons that a team will win their division title and then have a chance to, you know, go on and win the pennant and play in the World Series. Um, And that's because uh, when you look at the schedules that each team plays in their division, Obviously, teams play against everybody in their division, and within the division, the matchups are all, you know, they're evenly, uh, they're even. Um, and then within their own leagues, the divisions match up against each other. So pretty much, if you're looking at just the NL versus the NL, everybody in the NL Central is pretty much going to play the same schedule as everybody else in the NL Central. Everybody in the NL East is going to play pretty much the same schedule in the NL East, as everybody else in the NL East. Um, whereas when you bring this interleague play in, um, there aren't enough series to match up everybody against... Pretty much, you know, even teams, um, and also there's the secondary purpose of interleague. Obviously, it's something really for the fans to a large degree. So they really feel the need to get a lot of these marquee matchups in, um, and a lot of these big time rivalries too. You know, we look at like Yankees Mets or Dodgers Angels, things that happen a lot. These cross city rivalries, or even just really prestigious matchups. Like this year, we got to see Cubs Red Sox and Cubs Yankees. Just some old franchises that really don't get to play it out much, duking it out. Um, Now, of course, even if we look at that past example, if we're looking at the AL East, a super tightly packed division, um, with the Yankees, Rays, and Red Sox all battling it out for the title, um, and really the Orioles and Blue Jays just not that far back, the Yankees and the Red Sox play the Cubs, whereas the Rays aren't going to. Um, and these are the types of things that can actually impact pennant races. Um, And frankly, this year, the biggest one is in the NL Central, where the Cardinals and the Brewers, the two teams kind of favored to win that division, Um, obviously with the Pujols injury, who knows what's going to happen with St. Louis. Um, But the two teams really battling it out at the top of that division, played vastly different interleague schedules, big differences in strength of schedule, and we'll really have to see what kind of an impact that has. Now, of course, looking at this kind of imbalance of interleague, um, which again, I'd like to mention, I'm certainly not bashing interleague here. As a fan, I love it. Um, and the players really are big fans of interleague as well. Whenever they're interviewed, they mention you know They love getting a chance to go to a new city, um, really just doing something different to break the routine. So frankly, I think everybody likes Interleague, except for, you know, the numbers guys out there, maybe the GMs out there who are really looking at the big picture and seeing this hurt their teams or help them sometimes. Um, and while we're looking at this big picture, the reason that this year Interleague, uh, the imbalances of it are kind of more relevant than in the years past, um, is because of the talks of rebalancing in the MLB. Uh, now, we touched on this a little bit last week. Last week, we had a lot to cover. I don't think I really covered this as much as I would like to. But there's a lot of talks uh, in Major League Baseball, we're getting a lot of rumors from out of a lot of these owners' uh, meetings, and that's talks of rebalancing the MLB, which will result in zero divisions, or I guess you could view it as two divisions, um, just the two leagues, each with 15 teams in it, all battling it out with the top five teams advancing to the playoffs. Um, now, obviously, we covered, in even though we briefly touched on it last week, we did cover kind of the basics of it. You know, we covered the structure and whatnot, uh, some of the plus and minus stuff. But the big thing that, frankly, I didn't even realize, something that hasn't been mentioned at all anywhere on ESPN or anything, at least not that I've noticed, is the impact this would have on interleague play. If you look at it, there's 15 American League teams. There's 15 National League teams. Uh so if you have 7 series going on in the NL, you have 14 teams playing. You have one team left out. Every single se- every single week, you know, every single day, there'd be an interleague series going on. Um which on one hand might actually result in more balanced interleague. Um that's certainly a potential positive that with the chance for more interleague series to be played, Uh, you get a chance that maybe these schedules will be able to be balanced out more so you wouldn't have these dramatic gaps uh, in strength of schedule like the Brewers and the Cardinals are facing in the NL Central. Um, But on the other hand, you know, it really depends. This might be a nightmare for for the schedule makers is continuing to try and balance this interleague now that there'd be one every single, you know, every single series, there'd be one interleague series, as opposed to just getting all the interleague out of the way and kind of saying, well, let's just throw schedule, uh, schedule balance out the window for the sake of the fans and really for the sake of everyone who loves baseball uh, with interleague. So that's certainly something interesting to look at and kind of brings interleague back up to the forefront um, because it kind of the designated hitter and interleague and wildcard have really been, you know, those are the recent additions to baseball, the most recent additions at least. And they've really just been viewed at as really great things. And for the most part, they certainly are. Um, I'm a big fan of the designated hitter. I feel like it really should be in the National League. Um, I certainly tr- try to hide my biases, but I'm a Yankees fan, and Chin-Meng Wong, former ace of the New York Yankees, saw his career completely destroyed in an injury rounding the bases um, in an interleague game, which really wasn't so much a problem of interleague as much as a problem of lack of designated hitter, um, because these pitchers are out there and they don't practice hitting, but more importantly, they don't practice running the bases. And while certainly you'd hope that a guy can run 90 feet and make turns, you know, make the basic turns around the bases um, that we've all been doing, you know, since Little League, but at the same time, doing anything athletic that you don't practice and doing it at a totally professional level where these guys are really, you know, out there trying their absolute hardest you are at serious risk of injury. Um, and that's what happened to chin meng Wang. He hurt himself rounding third. And, you know, a guy who was a 19-game winner with the Yankees was the ace of the New York Yankees staff, um, albeit a pretty weak New York Yankees staff. Uh, as Certainly, you know, he's nowhere to be heard from. Uh, I believe he's in the Nationals organization right now. Uh, but that's an entirely different issue. Uh, So, yeah, these things have really been viewed as solely positive. They've kind of really gone away from the forefront. Um, Sure, there are some of these alleged baseball purists who are really, you know, anti-wildcard or anti-interleague. But for the most part, in the mainstream media, these things have really been viewed solely as positives. And I think if we're going to make another dramatic step in realignment, we can't just assume that the last adjustments that we made to baseball, those being, once again, the interleague, the wildcard, and um, the designated hitter, we can't just really assume that all of those were all good. We really have to more closely inspect those to be sure that you know we won't have a problem with this realignment. Um, so that's something I really noticed with this realignment is, once again, 15 teams in each league. That's an odd number of teams. You'd need to have an interleague matchup uh, every week, every time there's matchups going on. Uh, so we'll see how that pans out certainly we don't know for sure yet whether or not there will even be realignment um, but we will certainly keep things interesting and as if we didn't really have enough interesting things going on with the future of baseball Um, I don't know about you guys but I really feel like right now in baseball we're kind of starting to expect to see the next rise of really you know the next elite players we've seen the departure of the elite players you know really of the steroid era or even just of the post steroid era these guys who were dominant in the late 90s early 2000s um, they're starting to fade away they're starting to go away you know obviously we had the Manny Ramirez retirement earlier this year and we're really starting to see the rise of all these. These young stars, or stars in the making at least, we hope the likes of Bryce Harper Steven Strasburg, Jason Hayward we hope they're going to be as good as they're expected to be um, but we're really starting to see the rise of these young guys um, and really I think adding realignment to that one, if we're going to do realignment I think this is the perfect time to do it for Major League Baseball because we're going to see so many changing faces everything's really changing right now we're having a real changing of the guard um, with the exception, of, of course, the really elite teams are really staying at the elite, but that's because they're replacing, they're fading out the Derek Jeter's um, and even you know the Jason Veritek's of the world are fading out for the guys of the future. So even those elite teams that are still going to be there as dominant, they're really changing why they're dominant. Um, so in that case, changing this around, this would be the perfect time for realignment. Um, But I don't know. We really just have to look at and see if realignment is really something that we want in Major League Baseball, especially with this interleague issue, Um, because the Cardinals have gotten a lot of bad breaks this year. Adam Wainwright already out for the year before the season even started. Uh, This is a guy who's a perennial Cy Young contender and a key guy in that pitching staff. Uh, They're a team known for their one-two punch with their pitching staff, Wainwright and Carpenter. And they have had good performances from the other guys in the staff stepping up to fill Wainwright's absence. But still, you know, it's getting kind of lonely up there for Carpenter. Uh, plus, the Pool's injury, they really don't need more wonky things in this imbalance, like the dramatic difference in strength of schedule uh, and opponents winning percentage between them and the Milwaukee Brewers in interleague. Um, Now, of course, you know, we don't want to get into conspiracy theories here or anything, but the Brewers are certainly an interesting team. Um, And, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I'm a little bit, you know, I'm kind of through with the Cardinals. They're a great team. They're a fun team to watch. Um, But we talked about teams really dramatically changing. They really haven't over the years. Um, This is a team that at least for the past five or so years has really been consistent in what they've brought to the table, what they've done, and we've really gotten a great view of it. You know, they've always been out there competing. Whereas this Brewers team, one, they've totally revamped their pitching rotation. This is a totally different staff than we're used to seeing from them. And two, they really haven't been in that much contention. So we haven't gotten as good of a view of the Ryan Bronze and Prince Fielders as we've seen of Albert Pools. Um So, you know, maybe that interleague imbalance could work to the favor of the baseball spectator, um, as interleague tends to do. Uh, so now let's take a break. I'm Jason. Keep it right here. You're listening to Speaking of Sports on Voice America Kids. <laughs>
0: Now there's a new destination for video content, VoiceAmerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. VoiceAmerica Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports and Seventh Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus check out exclusive programming including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events and short features. High definition, premier quality programs available 24/7 VoiceAmerica.tv. Did you think you've seen online TV like this before? Let us surprise You're tuned in to Speaking of
2: Sports on Voice America Kids. Now, back into the action. Thank you, and welcome back to the program, Speaking of Sports on Voice America Kids Network. I'm Jason. Uh, In case you haven't noticed, my normal partner Fabian, he is missing. Uh, He's on vacation. Uh, We certainly haven't gotten rid of him. School is out for summer, you know, and he's just taking a little trip. Uh, So he was gone last week. Uh, I think we forgot to mention it. We assumed you noticed. Um, But he will be back for next week. So for all you Fabian fans out there, don't worry. He'll be right back uh, during our next show. Um, So we just covered Major League Baseball. We talked uh, mostly about Uh, Interleague, you know, some of the imbalances of Interleague and how those are kind of impacting races, uh, mostly in the AL East and NL Central this year, uh, and the impact that realignment could have on Interleague. Um, And I'll I'll recap my main point of that, because frankly, I was kind of startled when I realized this, which is if we realigned Major League Baseball to two 15-team leagues, which is what they're saying that they might do, um, that's what we're hearing some of the rumors out of these owner meetings, um, then that would mean that there would have to be an interleague series every single day. There'd be interleague play every single day because there's an odd number of teams in each league. Um, so that was the main point of that. So in case you missed that segment, that's really the focal point we hit. Uh, right now we're going to be moving on to the world of golf, a subject that we usually don't co- uh, cover here on Speaking of Sports. But the golf world certainly an interesting tournament we had at the U.S. Open. Uh, Very fun to watch. Uh, Really, you know, sometimes these wire-to-wire wins aren't that much fun. Uh, Even with someone like Tiger out there with a good storyline to it, but this was really kind of, kind of the ultimate storyline you could hope for. Uh, yeah, McElroy didn't have any kind of major like, off-the-course drama or anything big like that. But purely from looking at golf as a sport, looking at golf just as golf, uh, Rory McIlroy dominating the U.S. Open was kind of the best thing that we could hope for uh, as golf fans. Um, In that, really, we've seen one dominant player this generation of golfers, and he might be the most dominant ever. That's, of course, Tiger Woods. Uh, Now, throughout the years, there's been a lot of um, pretty much media-created rivalries made for Tiger. Uh, We've had Phil Mickelson, the lefty, you know, and Phil certainly is a very good player, uh you know certainly a historic caliber player, a guy with multiple major tournament wins um and some really some exceptional shot making ability, a guy who can get himself into some massive trouble um but then immediately get himself right back out of it uh so Phil you know an interesting rival for Tiger, but not really a guy who could compete straight up with tiger woods you know tiger tiger at his best is kind of expected to beat everybody. Um, but Tiger's game, just as a whole, it was kind of on a different level from Phil's. And, you know, that's nothing. That's not to knock anything off of Phil Mickelson. He's a great golfer, a, a historic golfer. But he's just not really a dominant type of player to go up there and be a rival with Tiger Woods. Uh, we had Vijay Singh for a little while. Um, you know, this wasn't the first time that Tiger dropped from number one in the golf rankings. There was that brief window when Vijay Singh actually took over number one, um, with Tiger being perfectly, you know, fine and well. And that really, there was a little bit of a stretch there. Tiger and VJ, you know, they competed head-to-head a bit. Like I mentioned, Vijay Singh took number one away from Tiger Woods uh, for a few weeks. And, you know, Vijay Singh really, he has been a really reliable, consistent golfer. And that's the thing that we look at with really all of these rivals um, that pretty much the media creates for Tiger Woods. Is that they're not taking these big no names, these guys who make one hot shot run at a major, and declaring them these rivals. These are really all around very good golfers. These are guys who can really go out there and always compete. It's just they're not really these dominant forces that it takes to compete with the Tiger Woods. They're not really the guys who can really just stand up to Tiger one-on-one and beat him. And, of course, the third, maybe the most notorious Tiger Woods rival, the guy who really hasn't been this long time, uh, maybe he's been a long-time contender, but he's just never been able to get it done on the big Sundays, uh, that's, of course, Sergio Garcia. And, you know, I personally, I pick Sergio Garcia for every single major tournament because I just figure he's due. You know, he's 0 for on his major tournament career. I just figure at some point he's bound to win one. Uh, so Sergio kind of the guy that Rory McIlroy reminded me the most of in that if we look back to the previous four major tournaments uh, McIlroy had led or had been tied for the league in three out of the four which is pretty exceptional when you think about it he was in some form of position to win three out of four majors that's something pretty exceptional um of course you know the first two didn't really pull through, and of course, we all remember the Masters, um, which Rory went into Sunday with a, with a uh, multi-stroke lead, and then just totally collapsed, uh, shot 80 on Sunday, which is just something you really can't do if you want to win a major. Um, certainly want to avoid those 8s on your scorecard in general. But what we saw in the U.S. Open... Rory didn't just get off to the start they got off to in the Masters. On the Masters, like I said, he went into Sunday with a pretty solid lead. McIlroy just dominated this tournament wire to wire in a way that I've never really seen a sporting event dominated. You know, they always talk about like moving day as Saturday uh, during a golf tournament, who's going to move up and down on moving day, and that's usually kind of what it looks like when Tiger wins a major. The typical Tiger Woods formula isn't really wire-to-wire. Obviously, he's done it before. The main tournament people were comparing Roy McIlroy's U.S. Open this year to was Tiger Woods' U.S. Open in 2000 when he just went totally wire-to-wire, actually won by a larger margin than McIlroy. Didn't shoot quite as low of a score, but won by a larger margin. But the main the kind of Tiger Woods formula for winning golf tournaments is you shoot a solid first round, good second round, be saying they're you know, somewhere on the leaderboard after a second round, and then come Saturday, he just turns it up. It becomes Tiger time. It becomes winning time out there, if we want to use an expression coined by a a friend of the show, Mercury head coach uh, Corey Gaines. Winning time the fourth quarter in the WNBA, but in this case the weekend of a major. We'd see Tiger just vault himself up from somewhere pretty high up on that leaderboard to right away first place at the end of Saturday, and they just go out there on Sunday and just a combination of his general superiority in golf, uh, plus his general clutchness. You know, Tiger is a guy... Certainly, we've never seen any kind of collapse um, like the one McElroy had back at the Masters out of Tiger, Um, plus, of course, the Tiger Woods factor, which is just that everybody else looks up at that leaderboard on Sunday, sees Tiger Woods at the top, um, and just knows that there's a man out there wearing a red Nike shirt who's dominating this golf course, and it makes them choke a little bit. Um, So that's kind of how he usually does it. And that's really kind of the typical formula for winning a major. That's what we see out of these, you know, the Phil Mickelsons and Vijay Singh's of the world when they go out and make a push for a major. Is big movement up the boards on Saturday, so you make sure you're playing your best golf Saturday and Sunday. Now, Rory McIlroy just totally said no to all of this and dominated a major in a way that really I've only seen Tiger Woods do. And that he just went out there, shot a historically great first round, went out and shot an historically great second round, and then a really really good third and fourth rounds uh so Saturday and Sunday were actually probably his two worst days out there, um, but didn't really matter because he d- could afford to take some of these risks you know go to pretty much lower his score just for the sake of lowering it and take the risk of maybe having to tap in for bogey instead of par because he had such a big lead over the field um now I do want to talk about that field we did have um one player I really want to talk about. Um, of the guys who are competing with McIlroy, or at least doing their best to compete for, with McIlroy, maybe competing more so for second place as this tournament progressed, is Y.E. Yang, who's a guy who we've really seen at the top of a couple majors here, and a guy who's really a solid competitor. Uh, he's not a guy, I don't think the tiger factor would really even apply to this guy. This is a guy who's really clutch out there, really calm, keeps himself level, and is really just a great, all-around solid golfer, uh, who I think is we can expect more good results from maybe a major win or two from the future. And now as for McElroy, what can we expect from him in the future? What I'm really looking forward to is when Tiger's back and healthy from this knee injury, um, which we certainly hope we'll get to see the old Tiger. Um, there's been some talks, actually, that we might not really, truly get to see the old Tiger um, because of the reoccurrence of the knee injury. Uh, we'll delve into that for a bit here, uh, which is that some golf analysts, some you know, health Analysts, you know, some of these people in sports medicine and in golf, are concerned about the wear and tear Tiger's swing has had on him in particular. And now we look at golf as one of these lifetime sports. Guys can really be out there competing at the highest level well past the age Tiger's at, well into their 40s, 50s, even 60s. But these guys don't swing like Tiger Woods does. And I guess the point that people have really gotten to is that Tiger's swing isn't really like a Ken Griffey Jr. baseball swing. It's not the prototypical swing, and he just has the, you know, he has the leg strength to just do it better. Tiger's swing is something special that wears him down more than a normal swing would. The force of this swing wearing down his knees, um, and people are concerned if we're ever going to see Tiger again. um, Or Tiger as Tiger again, as this dominant force in golf. Uh, certainly, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, knowing Tiger, he'll find a way. If he doesn't have the power game, he'll come back and he'll just putt it. He'll just putt out of his mind. And I'm certainly looking forward to a potential new rival and maybe the only true rival Tiger Woods has ever had in Rory McIlroy. Uh, so now let's take a break. I'm Jason. Keep it right here. You're listening to Speaking of Sports on Voice America Kids.
0: You're tuned in to Speaking of Sports on Voice America Kids.
2: Now back into the action. Thank you and welcome back to the program. Speaking of Sports on Voice America Kids Network. I'm Jason. My normal partner, Fabian, will be joining me again next week. Uh, He's on summer vacation at the moment. Um, Our show topic today, so far we've covered the impact of Rory McIlroy winning the U.S. Open this past year. um, That impact on the the game of golf as a whole. And, of course, you're talking about golf, the impact on Tiger Woods uh, when he returns and on his return. We covered that as well. Um, We covered in Major League Baseball, we looked at the way that Interleague, uh, we're in the midst of Interleague right now. uh, We looked at how Interleague and the Interleague schedule imbalances have impacted, in particular, the American League East and National League Central races. Um, so, And we also looked at how in a rebalanced league, the proposed two-league, 15 teams in each league uh, MLB rebalanced that we started hearing some news about out of some of these owners' meetings. Uh, we talked about the impact that would have on interleague. Mm-hmm. Um, As in case you hadn't noticed, and I certainly hadn't noticed until I was thinking about this the other day, 15 teams in each league, that's an odd number. You'd need to have one interleague series every time teams are playing. Uh, So we just talked about the impact that would have on the league and on some of these pennant races. And right now we're going to move on to the NBA draft. The 2011 June NBA draft has concluded. Certainly something really a lot of sports fans look forward to. Um, And that's really, I think that's really the true superiority, the only real point that the NBA and the NFL really have over Major League Baseball in particular, if we're looking at the three most uh, popular sports in America right now. Um, And that's the draft, the impact of the draft. Yes, sometimes in Major League Baseball there's a guy like Steven Strasburg or Bryce Harper, a real can't-miss prospect that you get excited for, even though we know we're really not going to be seeing Bryce Harper in the big leagues this year, Uh, maybe not even next year. Whereas when you look at the NBA and the NFL, and probably even the NBA more so than the National Football League, these drafts, you're going to see these guys. Um, rookie of the year is a major thing, and you get that your first year out of college, not your first year out of the minors, like it happens in the MLB. Um, so the Cavaliers started this off; they had the first pick in the draft, um, and that definitely we mentioned last week. That kind of describes the impact of a LeBron James first pick in the draft, first year without him, first year, in the dra- first pick in the draft, um, their first year before him. Um, there's a lot of debate on who Cleveland would pick. Uh, some analysts were really saying that was really going to absolutely be point guard Kyrie Irving out of Duke, and that is who it wound up being. Um, but I personally thought they might have been better mm-hmm. off taking Derek Williams, the forward at University of Arizona. Um, I think Williams has a chance to be a really dynamic player in this NBA. And frankly, I see a little bit of LeBron James in Derrick Williams, Uh, not in all the -the off-the-court stuff LeBron has been known for, you know, the decision and whatever, but just in his game. I see Derek Williams as a guy coming into the league who is an oversized three, um, doesn't really have LeBron's dominant speed. That's kind of the real thing that sets him apart, who can really attack the basket, is used to attacking the rim, and is working on his outside game. Uh, So frankly, I've seen a lot of people list Williams as a four. I know ESPN on their big draft board and whatever has him as a power forward. Um, But I see Derek Williams as a small forward for the future. I think that's how Derek Williams sees himself. Uh, We've heard that in some interviews. Uh, Williams went second overall to Minnesota. Uh, so I think that's going to be something very interesting to see how that one plays out. Uh, now, granted, sometimes it really turns out that you know the guys making the draft picks were completely right, and a lot of us were dead wrong. Um, we go back to kind of the last time we had this big 1-2 uh, controversy, who's going to go where. Um, we hadn't have it last year with John Wall. But if we go back, we had Derrick Rose and Michael Beasley. Now, I personally, I was on the O.J. Mayo train. I wasn't really going towards either of those players in particular, um, but as it turns out, everybody suggesting that Michael, uh, Michael Beasley or myself suggesting O.J. Mayo should have been the first pick in the draft, we were dead wrong. As Derek Rose is, of course, an MVP, uh, while Beasley has seen a lot of off-the-court issues and not a great on-the-court performance. And O.J. Mayo, at this point, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he won sixth man of the year uh, next year, but certainly sixth man of the year, not quite as good as MVP, which is pretty much first man of the year. Um, but then there are other times when it turns out the teams really didn't know uh, exactly what they are talking about. If we go back to Greg Oden versus Kevin Durant. Uh, Kevin Durant, of course, a multi-time scoring title winner. Greg Oden, a multi-time injury reserve. Uh, so we'll have to see how this one plays out. I think both these guys, they're kind of guaranteed to be some degree of impact in the NBA. I feel like these are really... Probably the only two guys in this draft who I can definitively say, worst case scenarios, these guys are NBA starters. Uh, Irving, I think at the least is like a 15 and 7 type guy at the point guard, or 15 and 6 maybe. You know, we don't know the exact numbers, but at the least, this is a guy who can do a bit of his own scoring and make some good passes, especially in transition. Uh, Williams, again, I think at the least he's, you know, an 18-8 and eight guy. He's a guy who can get his own once again. He could drive to the hoop at least, um, and he's got to develop a post-up game. He's going to develop some form of post-up game. I'd guarantee that. Um, and, you know, he can attack the boards a bit as well. Uh, but both of these guys have potential to really be dynamic playmakers. Irving's a guy who can score and he can pass. The only issue with Kyrie Irving is that he's not a truly elite athlete. Uh, we're not looking at John Wall or Derrick Rose out there just flying through the court throwing down massive slam dunks. Kyrie Irving's a bit more of a conservative athlete, although he is 6'3". He's got size. Um, That's somewhere to Derrick Rose's height. He's a guy with some size, just doesn't really have that elite quickness. Um, But he is a real threat in transition. Uh, And Derek Williams, like we mentioned, he doesn't have LeBron's speed. He's a bit undersized to be a four. He might not have enough speed to be a three. Uh, We'll have to see. Uh, so coming up next, Utah picked uh, Enos Kanter. That's the center out of Turkey. And to me, this guy looks like the real deal. Um, I know we've gone—we were really sour on international players for a little while just because every time someone takes an international player, it's brought up the last, you know, the last early international player to be selected, Darko Milicic, guy who totally didn't work out for Detroit. Um, but, you know, with Dirk turning out to be a, a historically great player, an MVP, and now a champion, uh, it seems like people have kind of really gone back to liking these European players. And I think Cantor's the real deal at the center position. Um, Turkey, by way of uh, University of Kentucky, and this is a guy who I, who just looks like he has a real NBA body already. Uh, this is a guy who seems like he could really go down that post. You can throw it into him. Uh, he seems to have some nice shooting touch. He's going to develop a post game. Um, and, you know, a guy who can on the boards as well. Um, and this goes along, there are a few of these European guys. Um, we have Valenzuenas, the Lithuanian center going to Toronto. Try saying that name five times fast. And he's another guy, we see a lot of game out of these guys. And that um, I think, frankly, I think in some years past, people started to get concerned when they heard about these like six foot 11 power forward center types from Europe with a jump shot. Um, Because all we think about when we think of these big men who can shoot is big men who only want to shoot. Um, And I think Dirk has proven that even if someone comes into the league with some, you know, maybe toughness issues, Dirk really wasn't a big-time rebounder. He wasn't a guy who was banging bodies when he first came into the league. They can develop that just like an American big man can develop more of a mid-range jumper. You know, like Tim Duncan developed that dominant turnaround jumper, uh, which really expanded his post-offense. Um, And uh, certainly another very interesting player, we have Jan Vesely out of the Czech Republic going to Washington. I think this is kind of the most interesting. This is the guy with maybe even higher upside than Williams and Irving in this draft. Uh, This guy's pretty much a 6'10", small forward. Uh, He could play the 4. He's a bit skinny for the 4. And this guy is just a freakish athlete. In case you didn't notice, he plays small forward at the height of 6'10". That kind of demonstrates some sick athleticism. Uh, this is a guy, great vertical, great out in transition. And frankly, you can't teach these things. You can't teach being 6'10 with long arms. He has these skills that, like I mentioned, you can't teach. Um, and I'd, I'd expect this guy, he's kind of, he might be a bit of a boom or bust guy for Washington. Um, but I expect to see some exciting plays in transition uh, from John Wall with, uh, with Vesely out in transition. Uh, Now we start getting into, uh, we're going to look at here this 8-9-10 consecutive selection, um, picks by Detroit, Charlotte, and Milwaukee. This was kind of the trio of big-name point guards who weren't named Kyrie Irving. Irving went one, and then the question after that, you had Brandon Knight, Kemba Walker, and Jimmer Ferdet. And it was what order and to who would these guys go? Um, Walker and Ferdette probably getting a bit more acclaim pre-draft or at least a bit more hype pre-draft than Knight. But you know, Knight kinda gets the last laugh here for a day at least, going earlier than them. Knight went eight to Detroit, which I guess is Detroit kind of finally truly admitting that Rodney Stuckey wasn't really the answer at point guard, and they probably shouldn't have let Chauncey Billups go. Um so they really bring in kind of a guy to be a point guard of the future for them, Brandon Knight out of Kentucky. And what really impressed me with this guy is he seems like a real he seems really to be a real traditional point guard mold but he seems to have a lot of clutchness to him. He made a lot of big shots. He was really the young leader as a freshman of that Kentucky team, which was obviously a team with a lot of freshmen, so it might have been easier for him to lead than coming into an NBA team at the age of, like, 20. But still, this is a guy with leadership and clutchness. I expect Brandon Knight to be a successful NBA point guard. Uh, Then we have Kemba Walker, uh, of course, out of University of Connecticut, a spectacular big-game player, uh, really a guy who totally got all of his draft stock, all of his acclaim off of his performance in three tournaments. Um, He had the preseason tournament, you know, the Maui Invitational, I believe it was, um, which he just totally went nuts for Connecticut, looked like the best player in in all of college basketball. And then, you know, he had a solid regular season. He had a solid time running through Connecticut's schedule and then they got to the tournament. Um, and then the conference tournament, first of all, he went nuts. Once again, he led them to the championship um, as far and away their top player as their emotional leader and as their go-to guy for scoring. Then coming to the NCAA tournament, and once again, Kemba Walker leads them to the championship as a superstar, Final Four most valuable player. This is a guy who, when the stage is, when the stage is biggest, he can score. Um, I'm not sure how it's going to happen with him as a point guard. He's a bit of a tweener, a bit of a combo guard, uh, which is a word they really like to throw around these days uh, when talking about these prospects. But you know, at some point scoring is scoring, and it doesn't matter if Kemba Walker winds up being some guy you pull off the bench. Jason Terry is an undersized, should be a point guard, but he shoots too much, so he's a shooting guard. And you know what, Jason Terry pretty much won the Dallas Mavericks, the NBA Finals. So that's the kind of role I'd expect to see Kemba Walker in. As you know, he's kind of a sixth man, but he pretty much plays starter minutes, and he has a big impact on the game through his scoring. Uh, Lastly, and this is the last guy we're really going to talk about here, because, you know, at Sports Talk Radio, we have to talk about Jimmer Fredette. Uh, Fredette drafted by Milwaukee, rights traded to Sacramento. For that's another guy, some people envision him kind of developing into Steve Nash, getting this real court awareness or at least showing off this court awareness that they believe he inherently has uh, to become a real good pass-first point guard with his shooting game. Other people see him kind of in a similar mold to Kemba Walker in that he's going to be a guy who can certainly get his offensively. I think that's something people certainly are, should not be worried about about Jimmer Fredette and that kind of gives a safety net to the pick in that every single team in the NBA needs more shooters and Jimmer Fredette is as good of a shooter as there is in this draft. Uh, so some people see him as a pass-first point guard in the future. Others see him as an explosive scorer off the bench. And frankly, I really don't know. Um, As a Knicks fan, you know, for that's a guy from New York, I was certainly hoping the Knicks were going to be able to trade up and draft him. Um, Of course, the Knicks also looking at maybe being able to sign Chris Paul after this season. So certainly they have some options open at the point guard position. Uh, But for that in Sacramento, you know, he's really going to help Kind of a fledgling Sacramento franchise. Uh, This is a team that's really had a hard time selling tickets and bringing in the unanimous consensus college player of the year who just happens to, you know, we're going to be honest here, Sacramento, that's a primarily white area. Bringing in the white guy to play point guard—that's going to sell tickets. In addition to whatever qualities as a player for that brings, um, and I think for a legit NBA player. I think he's going to be more than just a Kyle Korver type spot-up shooter you bring off the bench. Um, once again, no no offense to Kyle Korver—he's certainly certainly an impact player in this league—but um, I see for that really as a starting guard. Um, And I don't know if that's really at the point guard or at the two guard, but I feel like these roles of a one or a two are kind of becoming less defined. I mean, we look at kind of, if you're looking at the elite shooting guards in the NBA, top of your list is probably Dwayne Wade. Let's not forget, Dwayne Wade doesn't have Michael Jordan height out there. He's not running around at 6'6", 6'7". this is a guy who kind of has a point guard body and really isn't even a shooter. He's a guy who can just slash to the basket. Uh, so for that, um, and I, real th- I think the reason for this, and we can even look at the point guard position too, is you see a lot of these guys who really aren't these traditional pass-first point guards, you know, Monte Ellis and Stephen Curry, both in Golden State. Uh, we see a lot of these guys who aren't truly pass-first point guards really starting to make it in the NBA. And that's because, frankly, I think you can kind of thank LeBron James for that, uh, and that LeBron has kind of brought back the concept of the point forward. Um, We're starting to see it even spread beyond the small forward position where LeBron does it, where your main distributor doesn't have to be your point guard. It can even be maybe even your center, as we see on the Chicago Bulls team, where Joakim Noah can lead that team and assist any given night. Um, So I think... If you put Fredette in the right situation, which he may or may not be in in Sacramento, he could develop into a very good player, um, getting his as a scorer, and of course contributing with assists, just not as the absolute pass-first point guard of a Steve Nash type. Um, Really, we started to see as this round went on, frankly, we really didn't see too many shocking picks in this draft. Um, but, of course, if one team's got to be making a shocking pick, it's the New York Knicks. And I, I know they flipped out in Newark when this pick was made, um, and certainly I was a bit surprised as well and kind of a bit disappointed. Um, Shumpert, the guard out of Georgia Tech, they sucked him with the 17th pick, Um, Some people saw that as a major reach. Some people saw this guy as a second round pick, um, which apparently he did as well. He was not actually present for the NBA draft, the first guy selected who was not able to go up there and get his hat. Um, But other people really see this guy as a guy they were expecting to go 20 maybe or somewhere in that early 20 slot. So not too much of a reach for the Knicks. Um, Now, a lot of people really hoping that the Knicks will have been able to take someone, uh, maybe Chris Singleton out of Florida State, a real defensive stopper. Or maybe, you know, they have a lot of players. There are some good stories out there. Uh, Fareed out of Moorhead State, a guy from New Jersey, obviously grew up rooting for those New York area sports teams. Uh, and a guy who can kind of bring that energy slash defensive stopper slash rebounder role to the Knicks. Um, that's probably the pick I would have liked to see them pick was Fareed, Um, in that you could play if they continue to play roughly the Mark Dan- the Mike D'Antoni style running gun offense. Um, they could pit Amari at the five playing the center, Farid at the power forward spot, um, and they suddenly have a guy who can help Amari out down in the post playing defense, getting those rebounds, doing the things Amari doesn't always do or doesn't always want to do uh, when he's more focused offensively. Uh, that being said, I don't think Shumbert's really a bad player at all. Uh, this is a guy with good size, you know, good height, 6'6", 6'7", real traditional shooting guard height, uh, who can play the one or the two. He's a real dynamic, versatile player. Um, he's got a big-time vertical leap. He can shoot the three, and he can play defense. So on paper, those are all things the Knicks really need and things that could develop into a very high-quality NBA player. The question is, is does he really have the talent to do all of that? Yes, he can shoot, yes, he can jump, and yes, he can play defense. Um, So frankly, I think we're either going to see a guy who can do it all on the NBA level and who becomes a real important starter or maybe an important bench player in that next rotation, or a guy who really none of those skills are really on that elite NBA level and who kind of becomes an afterthought in that next organization. Uh, so now let's take a break. I'm Jason. Keep it right here. You're listening to Speaking of Sports on Voice America Kids.
1: Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at T R N.
0: uh try again chris take two we'll take you back to the favorite tv shows of our generation past and present and apply them to what's going on in our own lives trust us it'll be a blast tune in to take two every monday at 4 p.m pacific 7 p.m eastern on the voice america kids channel there is so much going on in the tech field the technology show is here to sort it all out so that you know exactly what you need to get and what you should avoid in this age of cell phones and text messaging and new discoveries every single day, you need to be informed. We'll bring you previews of new products, technology news, and help you make the right decision when you are out there buying that new MP3 player, cell phone, or mobile device. Don't do a thing until you've tuned in to The Technology Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Kids. What are some of the issues that kids face every day? You'll find out when you tune in to the appropriately named Today's Kids your hosts are here to open the doors to a forum of all kinds of issues nothing is off the table here and because it's on the voice America kids channel you know you're getting a kids perspective tune in every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific time 7 p.m. Eastern time for today's kids your hosts will lead this forum of engaging conversation on voice America kids
1: wanna know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite voice America talk radio network host how about what's new with our network You're
0: tuned in to Speaking of Sports on Voice America Kids.
2: Now, back into the action. Thank you, and welcome back to the program, Speaking of Sports on Voice America Kids Network. I'm Jason, flying solo today. Fabian is on vacation. He'll be back next week. Um, and right now, we're going to get into our sports and state segment, uh, where we're going to be taking an imaginary radio trip to Colorado, looking at their sports history and, of course, the current state of their sports franchises. Uh, To recap what else we've covered on this show, Uh, we've looked at Rory McIlroy winning the U.S. Open, the impact that his dominating performance is having on the world of golf, and of course on the world of Tiger Woods. Uh, We looked at the NBA draft, certainly a lot of controversy there, Uh, Irving going first over Williams, and then looking at some of those point guards, you know, the Brandon Knight, Kemba Walker, Jimmer for that chain of picks that we saw uh, going 8-9-10. And we looked at Major League Baseball and the impact interleague play has on particularly the NL Central and American League East uh, pennant races right now. Uh, and the impact that moving the alleged realignment that we started hearing rumors from out of the MLB uh, switching to two 15-team leagues would have on interleague in that 15s an odd number. So there'd always have to be an interleague series being played and the potential impact that could have on games. Uh, But right now, we're going to move along to sports and states where we're going to be taking a trip to Colorado. Uh, Much like California, which we covered last time, uh, Colorado is a little bit different from these previous states, the earlier states we looked at, in that it's really a professional sports area. Uh, University of Colorado is certainly a very uh, very prestigious sports being played at that school uh, with a handful of uh, NCAA violations in their football program because who doesn't have those at this point? Um, But really, they're an area more well-known for, in particular, the Colorado Rockies and the Denver Broncos. Uh, With, of course, the Denver Nuggets certainly being a reputable franchise, uh, especially a franchise that's really seen recent consistent success. Uh, Now, we think about Denver athletes, we really think about the guys who went there um, because people get idolized when they play well in Colorado. Uh, That's certainly something I've noticed, is you look at the guys who really go to Colorado and become leaders... Um, and become leaders from their teams, they really become these really idolized players in Colorado and across the nation. Uh, We look at a guy like Larry Walker coming down from Canada, leading this uh, Colorado Rockies franchise for numerous years. Uh, And he's a guy who's really well regarded. He's in the Colorado Sports Hall of Fame uh, inducted this year. And he's a guy who's just beloved by Rockies fans as a whole. And I think we're kind of starting to see that kind of development, uh, particularly at Troy Tulowitzki of the Rockies right now, um, but also at some of the other young leaders. They're developing on that team, like Carlos Gonzalez or Cargo, as we like to call him, uh, and even Ubado Jimenez, who certainly had a legendary year last year. Uh, we're really starting to see them kind of start up into this national spotlight as kind of these heroes of Colorado. I think Tulowitzki probably the best example of that, and of course, probably the best example of that all time. Is John Elway over with the Denver Broncos Uh, really the Denver Broncos Elway's Broncos of um, of his era are really one of the definitive NFL franchises of all time Uh, you talk about the Elway Broncos along with you know the Montana slash Young slash Jerry Rice um, 49ers you look at maybe the Aikman Smith um, Irving Cowboys these are really kind of definitive stretches for teams at least in more recent years, uh, of the NFL history, uh, and Elway, Elway was a guy who really, I think, can probably be mostly, most closely related, uh, with kind of a Peyton Manning, just in the way that his career went, uh, now Elway's certainly a different player from Peyton Manning, um, on uh, a certainly similar in arm strength, as we talk about we've heard a lot of Peyton's receivers talk about how they feel the impact of Peyton's throws on them. Peyton can certainly gun it in there and especially back in his younger days, he used to gun it in there all the time with incredibly hard throws. That's what Elway was capable of uh, there became something known around NFL locker rooms you know, and in the media known as the Elway Cross, which was the mark that the edge of a ball would leave on a receiver's arm or chest or whatever they happened to catch the ball from catching it from John Elway because he would just throw the ball so hard. Um, now, it makes Elway really a special player for those who didn't get to watch him it's the speed he brought to the table, in addition. Like we mentioned, he had a cannon like Peyton Manning, uh, but he also had incredible speed. Uh, so co- as a player, you might actually co- most closely relate him uh, to the kind of redefined Michael Vick we've seen uh, since his return to the NFL with the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, And that he was a guy with an absolute cannon of an arm and could make great plays on the run using his arm or using his legs. Uh, Elway not so much like Steve Young and a guy who would really just scramble back there. Uh, Elway would take off with it sometimes. Uh, And Elway's certainly a historically great quarterback. I personally think he's the greatest of all time at the quarterback position. Um, But nonetheless, a guy really idolized in Colorado. Um, John Elway, Larry Walker, these are guys you really talk about as really – The historic guys in Colorado um, and probably these guys who have really seen national acclaim in a large part due to the quality of the fan base of Colorado and the amount of support that they have received from the Colorado fans as leaders of their franchises. Uh, Certainly the Denver Nuggets, they kind of had their potential leader taken away from them. Uh, Carmelo Anthony was kind of looking to step into that role with that team. Um, but you know, Mello was never really quite as beloved over there in Colorado, in part because he really he never quite was able to bring them the level of success um, that certainly John Elway eventually got over the hump. That's why I related him to Peyton Manning. By the way, is Elway was a guy who early in his career just couldn't win the big one. Uh, he could make he made a lot of clutch plays even early in his career. Throughout his career, it's not like he was out there choking. He wasn't out there struggling down the stretch but he just couldn't quite will his team to the Super Bowl. Uh, Unlike Peyton, who really got the help of a suddenly dynamic Colts defense, uh, the Colts had that like three-year span where their defense was this incredibly fast, really electric defense, Uh, Elway got the help of a running game brought in large part by by, uh, Terrell Davis, uh, a 2,000-yard rusher, and certainly a guy who, at least for a few years, really brought to the table one of the most dominant performances of a running back that we've really seen in the NFL. Uh, So they were with a couple of that with Elway, and that's what got them over the hump. Melo never really quite got that extra piece to get over the hump, if you ask me. Um, Iverson there, I really expected Iverson to be a great impact on Carmelo, a great influence. Um, because you look at the things that kind of shaped Kobe Bryant's career, and them beating Iverson Sixers in the NBA Finals, I feel really shaped his career, in that Iverson was this dynamic, electric, defensive player, and that's when Kobe learned to start trying to be a lockdown defender. Um, By the time Iverson was in Denver, he really seemed to have kind of lost that spark. Melo didn't pick up the kind of leadership qualities from Iverson, although I do really feel that he learned them from Chauncey Billups. Melo for you know some of the controversy of the end of Melo's time in Denver. Melo was a guy who was really leading that team with help of Chauncey Billups and under kind of the tutelage of Chauncey Billups. Uh, he was really leading that team. And if it wasn't for Melo's desire to go back home to New York, uh, I would expect to at some point have seen Melo in a similar spotlight with the likes of Tua or Walker or even John Elway. Uh, so that's going to do it. Thanks for joining us. You can listen to this show weekly on voiceamericakids.com. Contact us at voiceamericakids at yahoo.com. Mention my name, Jason, or my partner's name, Fabian, and our show Speaking of Sports. will answer any response. So now that's going to do it. I'm Jason. Keep it right here. You're listening to Voice America Kids. Thanks again for listening to Speaking of Sports on
0: the Voice America Kids channel. Make sure you come on back next week for another great show.
2: Our future is missing. Hi, this is Jason Chesler, host of Speaking of Sports, and this is Our Future is Missing. Please be on the lookout for Christopher Fleming. He is 17 years old and went missing April 8, 2011 at 5 p.m. He is African-American and is from Richmond, Virginia. He is 5 foot 10 inches tall and weighs 145 pounds, with black hair, brown eyes, and is considered an endangered runaway. He may be with a female companion and may have traveled to West Virginia. Christopher has a scar under his chin, and his hair may be in braids. If you know of Christopher Fleming's whereabouts, please contact the National Center of Missing and Exploited Children's Hotline at 1-800-THE-LOST. That's 1-800-5678. To see a picture of Christopher Fleming, please click on the link on the Voice America homepage, Our Future is Missing, or go to ourfutureismissing.com. Thank you. This is voiceamericakids.com.